Should we talk about worship today? Uh, I feel like that's kind of been the theme. We should just keep talking about what we've already been talking about, right? Well, la last week, uh, we continued our series called Rule Your Life. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines, and the spiritual discipline that we started talking about last week was worship. So far in our series, we were just doing uh, one week per discipline. We talk about a discipline, then we move on to the next one. And last week, um, I, I got a little carried away, and I, uh, I got through my whole first point. And then I looked at um, how much time I had been talking, I realized I didn't have any time left, and so I didn't get to points two and three. And so my intention is to do that today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to, you're going to hear two-thirds of a sermon today. Um, hopefully it's not an hour and a half long. Lord, help me. Uh, I, had said, I had said last week that, um, that you really could say a ton about worship as a spiritual discipline. Uh, we, we're talking about worship uh, in, a, in a broad sense. And just to give you an idea of, of worship being a broad thing, uh, there are nearly 700 times in Scripture that worship is mentioned in all of its forms. There are more than 250 commands uh, to, to praise or worship God uh, in different areas in Scripture. There are 15 different words for worship or for praise. We, we actually use just two words, two English words, worship and praise, but there are 15 different words in scripture that make reference or, or that, that we would translate into worship or praise. And I, you'll remember this if you were here with us last week, uh, but I had said to you that if we kind of synthesize all of those words together, we might come up with definitions for our terms praise and worship that look something like this. To praise is expressively declaring truth about God for the purpose of bringing him honor, often accompanied by music, and worship is a lifestyle of humbly giving honor to God above all else. Now, my hope is to talk about both of those things with you today as we talk about the discipline of worship. Uh, but I, I, I just want to be clear with you to make sure that if you weren't here last week that you hear this again today. When we're talking about the spiritual discipline of worship, we are not simply talking about the way that we sing songs together in a church gathering. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about all of the ways in which we bring honor to God in all of the areas of our life. Or Adele Calhoun says, worship happens whenever we intentionally cherish God and value him above all else. That's what we're talking about when we talk about worship. And when we talk about the spiritual discipline of worship, we're talking about how do we actually do that? We're not just trying to define the term. We want to answer the question that might sound something like, if I were to worship God this week, what does that actually look like? What do I do? And last Sunday, I, I told you... Um, go and make some noise, right? That was, that was one of the things that we had said is, is a function of the discipline of worship is, is where, and we'll get to it in just a second, but in Psalm 100, it says, shout to God. And so we talked about the shout. We talked about the expressiveness of our, our vocalizing the praise and the worship of God back to him. Uh, do you, you remember this? Uh, last week I, I, I got so excited I, I jumped up on a chair and we shouted together uh, as a, a function of worship. 
and our praise. We talked actually also about how, how shouting and, and the expressive declaring of worship uh, is also seen in our sharing of testimony or in thanksgiving. And uh, so, so this week when we get together on Wednesday for our night of thanks, that'll be a function of our worship. Uh, and then also last Sunday, and this will be good to, and helpful to kind of move us towards where we're going to get to today, we remember uh, that last week we, we read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul takes the idea of worship being intentional, giving God honor in ways that sometimes have to do with worship, but more than that, in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says this, this is your true worship. So Paul really lands the plane on that idea. Because God has given us life through Jesus, our response is to give Jesus worship or to live as worship unto God. Uh, and again, uh, Richard Foster says, worship is our human response to God's divine initiative. So again, we said this last Sunday, I want to say this to you again today. We don't worship uh, to get anything from God. We worship because of what God has already done, what he has already given us. As Foster says, it's our response to God's divine initiative. Now, we, because there are so many different places that we could go, we rooted our study of worship for uh, last week and then again today in Psalm 100. And so I want to read this whole psalm to you. It's only five verses. It's not very long. Uh, psalm 100 in the CSB. It'll be up on the screen for you as well. It says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. That's where we got uh, the command to shout as a function of worship. But then it goes on to give us more tips on how to practice the discipline of worship. It says, serve the Lord with gladness come before him with joyful songs. And, and that's really where we'll get to today. We're going to put the rest of our, just so I can make sure I get through all of my notes today, I'm just going to talk from verse 2 today. Deal? Okay. And then we'll, we'll move forward after today. But it says this, the, end, the rest of the psalm goes like this. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness throughout all generations. Now, I, I've said this before, we could draw an entire series just from this one psalm. So let's, let's make sure that we root our focus just on verse 2. And we'll talk about these two other ways that I wanted to share with you from Psalm 100 where we can practice or be inspired to practice the spiritual discipline of worship. And the first thing I want to talk to you about today is how when we worship, we serve. Now, just to be clear, we talked several weeks ago about the spiritual discipline of service. And the spiritual discipline of service, when we spoke about it here a few weeks ago, was specifically about how we practice a spiritual discipline of serving other people. And so we go out of our way because it is good for us. It, it keeps us low and humble so that we can grow spiritually to remember that there are other people in the world and that we should not think of ourselves as better than any other people. But here today, we are focusing on the way service is an act of worship directly to God. And so we worship God when we serve God, or as David wrote in the second, what we know is the second verse of Psalm 100, uh, as he told us to serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Tell your neighbor just for a second, just tell him those words. Say, serve the Lord 
with gladness. Tell your neighbor to serve the Lord with gladness. Okay, so that means no curmudgeon serving the Lord. Okay, let's get that out of the way. Actually, we may even come back around, see if we dig down into that. Can I just tell you that there are two important things that we need to know about, uh, that we need to understand about service as an act of worship? And the first one is this, everything is worship. Everything that you do is worship. I'm going to endeavor to prove that to you over the next few moments. Remember what Paul said to us in Romans 12:1. He says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Okay, with this in mind, uh, there is, it is clear that there is something holistic about the way Paul challenges us and expects us to worship God. Holistic meaning it, it, it has to do with your whole life, Right? Think about this for a moment. Now, Paul's original audience, his original readers in the, in the church in Rome, they would have immediately understood the framework for what Paul was saying because they lived in a time where animal sacrifice was a common expression of worship. And many of the people who were Jewish believers in the, in the way of Jesus and in Jesus as the Messiah, they would have immediately understood, I, I know what he's talking about, what he's talking about, what we talking about worship as sacrifice. I have a mental picture for that. And the mental picture was they take an animal and they lay it out on an altar and they sacrifice the animal as worship to God. And so, so, so here, here's a reality about this, why Paul adds a really specific word in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Um, the animal dies. Uh, you might have feelings about that, and I respect your feelings about that. But this is a function of worship historically. Uh, we're not going to get into like the that portion of the conversation, but the animal dies. Okay, just, it's dead. So it's 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 important, and thank God he included this word. When Paul says to live as a sacrifice, he says you are a living sacrifice. Whew, thank you, Paul for clarifying. Otherwise, you know, like, we're crazy. Humans are crazy. If Paul didn't say living sacrifice there, you know what would have happened, right? Some crazy people would have started a church somewhere, and they would have been like, well, you got to be a sacrifice if you want to worship Jesus. We'd just be killing fools to worship God. You know that would happen. There'd be whole Twitter accounts about it. Thank you, Paul, for the word living in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But that also has a lot of implications. Because when an animal was sacrificed, you know what it wasn't doing anymore? Literally anything else. And so when Paul says, you are a living sacrifice, this is your true worship, you know what Paul is saying? Your worship is all you're doing for the rest of your life. He's saying, live as if you don't have anything else that you can do. Live as if you have died to any other purpose. Live as if the honor of any other God has completely died in you. Live in such a way that even though you are choosing to be a living sacrifice because this is your true worship, because you recognize how God has done so much good for you, live that even though you are choosing that way of life, live as if it were not even a choice. 
This is what Paul is inviting us into. To be a living sacrifice is a holistic idea. You are not also running around and giving worship or honor to anything other than the God for whom you are a living sacrifice. He is saying that true worship looks like fully embodied worship. As a living sacrifice, praise God, you still get to live, but all of your living is done in service to God. And like all of our spiritual disciplines, we have to come to terms with this. You are worshiping something. If it is true, we were talking about this earlier, if it is true that Jesus said that if the people don't sing praise to me, that the rocks would grow mouths, like they would find ways to worship me. Creation itself is designed to worship me, and you're a part of creation, and you're the part of creation that's designed to be a worshiper of God with your mouth and with the expressions of your life and with the way that you live. Everything you are, you are designed to do is to worship God. Paul is saying all of you is designed to worship God. And if you're not worshiping God, then it follows you're worshiping something. We live in a world that is inviting us constantly to worship ourselves. We call that humanism, right? Designed to worship Money, designed to worship success, designed to worship other people in our celebrity culture, designed to worship the people we think will fix our problems, designed to worship our spouse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Paul tells us everything we do is worship. So worship God with everything that you do. You see immediately how this goes beyond just our moments of praise, right? It's about your entire life. Therefore, worship is about the way you live your whole life. So how do I practice the discipline of worship? Make sure everything you do is worship, because it is. And it should be directed to God. Now, in another letter, Paul actually brings even more clarity to this function of worship. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So Paul is not saying live as a sacrifice and don't ever like quit your job, like don't have a job, don't build relationships, don't engage in community at all, just be a sacrifice. Well, remember though, he said living sacrifice. And he said living sacrifice in the, con in the same way uh, that, that Jesus said, I came that they might have life and life more abundantly. He's not just saying you get to not die. He's saying you get to fully live. So as you fully live, live as worship. This is where all of a sudden the, what, what feels like it's just so broad and, and big and massive and hard to grab your hands on becomes incredibly practical. Because worship, if worship is everything, then the discipline of worship is how do you get ready in the morning? That's worship. How do you drive to work on a Monday? That's worship. You know, on a Monday. Or like on a Thursday where you're like kind of almost to the weekend, but it's really thir like I have Thursday, two whole days of this left before the weekend. How do you drive to work on the day when you least want to go? That's worship. How do you do your work and engage in the people around you? This is worship. 
how you return home and engage your family or your friends or your neighbors, how you handle conflict, how you mow your lawn, how you take your trash can down to the corner. All of this actually is functions of the way that you worship down to every decision that you make, how you spend your money, how you cast your votes, how you build relationships. All of this is worship. And again, the question is not, are you worshiping? It's whom are you worshiping, right? Scripture tells us that we work not for ourselves, but so that God will be worshiped. Amen? So the discipline of worship reminds us of this truth in 1 Corinthians. This is another thing that Paul wrote to the Christians in the, in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. What is the price that you were bought at? The price of the death of Jesus Christ. He purchased your life with his death. And he sealed life for you with his resurrection, but he, he paid the price of life for your life. And so listen again to what Paul says, these important words, you are not your own. You, we live in a world that says, do you. Do whatever makes you feel happy. You're your own person. And God says, you absolutely are not your own person. You are my person. You belong to me. And if you, if you have given your life to me. Now, now, just for the record, you have the free will to choose not to give your life to God. You have the freedom to choose that. You can actually do whatever you want with your life. But if you want to live in God's kingdom, then you don't belong to yourself anymore. And the discipline of worship is do everything as if you are doing it for God. So think about the week that's coming up. Let's, let's, let's make this practical. Think about it. We've got Thanksgiving week coming up, okay? Anybody super excited about all those family members that you're about to spend time with? Yeah? Good? Yeah? Some of us not so much. Yeah? What would it look like? Not just to do, because here's what happens in Thanksgiving is that we often do the, the highs and lows and the kind of the, what everybody name what you're thankful for around the, and for some of us, this is the only time the whole year that we actually go, everybody go around the tables, name something that you're thankful for. And then Christians actually have a function of this that isn't just we have to wait until the Thanksgiving holiday. We actually have a function of this. You know what it's called? Worship. What would it look like? If before the Thanksgiving meal, you spent time worshiping, what would it look like if you didn't make the turkey for your cousin, but you made it for God? What would it look like if you didn't set the table for your mama, but you did it for Jesus? And in all of the places where that sounds like a really cheesy illustration, I propose to you that I'm touching on the places where society has said, see, this isn't, God's business is not serious business. Well, you, you want me to like put a napkin on the table and say, God, I do this as a function of worship for you? Yeah, and the place where that feels corny is your problem, not God's. 
Be a worshiper. Lay the napkin for Jesus. Friends, we so overcomplicate engagement with the kingdom of heaven. We so overcomplicate it that saying put a fork on a table is a function of worship if you do it for God feels cheesy. Or it feels like not enough to our pious desire to be religious and righteous before the king of kings. God, you mean that that I take the plate from the cupboard and I make sure it's clean and I put it on the table and that you actually have a mechanism in your heart where the motion of grabbing a plate and placing a plate and grabbing another plate and placing another plate, like you actually have a mechanism in your kingdom, in your heart, and your desire to have a relationship with me that that could be a function of worship? It's just putting out plates. And Jesus said, not if you do it for me. Now, why would the plates matter? My wife used to clown me for illustrations like this because I used to say stuff like one of, the, one of the most important jobs in the church could be the guy that brings water to the preacher because what if the preacher has like a scratchy throat that day and he doesn't get to preach the gospel with clarity and so the person in the room doesn't hear the gospel. And I used to say stuff like that so that we could hype up the guy that brings the water because every place serving in the local church is just as important as the person who preaches. And it is, I, I, it, and, and yes, that part is true. And I confess also, like, I, I'm aware there's a really cheesy, over-the-top, like, weird illustration to make. But what if this actually was worship? What if the way you set the table isn't just setting a table for a meal, but setting space for God to do something? Right? Well, God, I'm having Thanksgiving dinner by myself, so this illustration doesn't apply to me. Oh, but you're having a Thanksgiving dinner. God, I set the plate in gratitude as worship because you've given me breath in my lungs. You've given me a body that can eat, and you've given me food to enjoy. I worship you. All of this, I'm saying all of this matters to God. All of this absolutely matters to God. So the way that you prepare a meal, the way that you eat a meal, the way that you set the table, the way that you clear the table, the way that you entertain guests and go to be a guest, all of this is a function of worship. And if that is true, then when Friday comes and after you've respected the turkey, you shift your focus to spending money on Christmas presents, friends, that is also worship. saying the way you spend your money is worship one of the functions of the church is stir one another up to love and good works the more i'm stirred up to love and good works the more i'm able to worship what would it look like if we had a church full of people who didn't spend money to try to impress people with the gifts we bought but tried to spend money to stir up love and good works in the people we buy gifts for and what if 
I, I, I'll take this a step further. What if there's an element of justice in the way you worship related to the way you purchase gifts? What if this Christmas, as you're going to spend money on gifts, you're not just thinking about impressing the person that you're buying a gift for, and you're not even just thinking about stirring up love and good works for the person you're buying a gift for, but you're thinking about buying gifts that don't perpetuate a culture of modern-day slavery by laying a heavy burden on the back of people who cannot otherwise experience the freedom that you get to experience. See, everything is worship. Everything is worship. From the gifts that you buy to the way that you open a gift to the way that you spend money on it or the way that you spend the money that you get as a gift. Everything you do in service um, of, of, of whoever you bring honor to, that's who you worship. And what you do to bring them honor is a function of worship. So the discipline of worship allows us to align all of our actions with the desire to become closer to God, to enter into his kingdom, to win the war of, against the world, the flesh, and the devil by giving God honor instead of honor to the world, to our flesh, and to the devil. So everything you do, have I said this enough times yet? Can, can you say it to your neighbor? Turn to your neighbor, just tell them like with conviction as if you were preaching this sermon. Tell them everything you do is worship. Everything you do is worship. Okay, so now, now we can get to the second thing that we need to understand about service. Because everything we do as service to God is worship to God. The second thing we need to understand about this is that your worship is not limited to your emotions. Worship is not limited to how you feel. Paul did not write Romans 12 verse 1 by saying, if you feel like it, live as a sacrifice. When everything works out in your favor, then you can sacrifice your life for God. No, he says, because of what he's already done, regardless of how you feel about it, give your life as a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice, because this is your true worship. This is so simple to explain, but it is so vital to understand. Just think about how you feel about anything in your life. Do you remember getting like a dream job? And then and then the first day you didn't want to go? <laughs> right? This is my dream job. I, everything about my entire life has prepared me to do this dream job. And then you wake up one Monday morning, you're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. This is my dream relationship. Everything about this person is wonderful and perfect and makes me feel so great and special. And every time I'm with them, I just feel butterflies. And then one day you're like, every time I'm with them, I feel something. <laughs> and it's not butterflies. <laughs> Friends. I've been married for 20 years. As of November 1st, we've been married for 20 years. It's been not all butterflies. There were some days where Sharon did not feel butterflies about me. You know what has made our relationship good and special and meaningful? Is that in the days where it wasn't butterflies, she stayed. In, in the days where I made it hard for her, she loved me anyway. 
and that one that one time that she made it hard for me. <laughs> Guys, I, it's 20 years. I'm still trying to win points, okay? Um, you understand the illustration. You go to work because you made a commitment, not because you wanted to, right? Some of you got up today and you're like, I don't want to go to church, but I need to go to church today, right? So I, I came. It was hard for me. I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. This was good. This was the right decision. One of the great blocks for true worship in the kingdom among the people of God is that we have limited the function of worship to how we feel about the function of worship. There's a, song, a songwriter and a worship leader, Graham Kendrick, he, he says this, worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you, but it is vital that we understand that it is rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember I was at this church as a youth, and I was on the worship team, and I was, I was the bass player on the worship team, and I had been doing it for a little while, and, and it, it just sort of was like every Wednesday night and every Sunday I was playing on the worship team, and if I'm completely honest, um, I, I, I kind of started doing it because I liked being up in front of the people, and, and, and then it just kind of like became a thing, and, and, and it just, you know, Wednesday's coming, just got to learn the songs, got to play the songs, and then Sunday's coming, got to learn the songs, got to play the songs, and I remember going going to my youth pastor at the time, Pastor Chad, and, and I said, Pastor Chad, um, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and I'm just kind of like in a funky place right now, and, and I haven't really been feeling it during the worship, and I, and I know that worship is something that really like it has to be done from the right heart, and so, so I really just, because my heart wants to honor the Lord, but I haven't been feeling like I've been honoring the Lord, I'm going to take a season off the worship team, and I just, I'm, I'm sorry, like I'll play for the next couple Wednesdays so we don't get like in a spot, but I'm just going to take a season because I haven't been feeling it, and Pastor Chad looks at me. And he goes, Tim, who told you worship was about how you feel? So I decline your request for a break. You're going to play every week. In fact, there was a week I was going to give you off, and you don't get it anymore. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, I didn't feel comfortable, but he was right. He was right. Whether or not I worship God is not about how I feel about God in this moment. The God who never changes never doesn't deserve my worship. I'm the one that changes. So it's helpful for me to anchor myself to the God who doesn't by worship, regardless of how I feel. And if that's a struggle for you, just come back to Psalm 100 and remember the reasons that David gave us for worship. In Psalm 100, he says, acknowledge the Lord because the Lord is God and he made us. We are the, the people of his pasture. We're his sheep, right? He says in, in verse 5, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. Regardless of how you feel about it, Psalm 100 doesn't ever say worship God because it's not raining today and you feel nice. Or because there's money in your bank. It's because he is good. Because he is good. And he's never not that. Amen? Okay, so a helpful way that you can make sure that you do this in each moment is, is to come back to God in worship through the function of prayer. 
So I, I find it helpful to, to pray simple prayers like this one as an example. God, what I'm doing right now, I do it as an act of worship to you. God, what I do right now, I do as an act of worship for you. Or, or to say, God, you are worthy of the best praise, so I give you my best right now as, as, as I do this thing, as I drive this, this commute, or as I do these chores, or as I have this conversation, or as I sing these songs. I, I do this as worship to you. Why? Because you are worthy. Amen. You can pray any version of that prayer, right? You can, you can sing along, you can set the table, you can go to work, you can come home from work, you can take out the trash, you can have the conversation, you can build the relationship, you can do all of this as worship because everything is worship and it has nothing to do with how you feel even though it might make you feel something. We worship regardless of how you feel. So how you feeling? You good? You good? Should we keep, keep going? Like yes, move on from this point. Okay, let's do it. We made it, guys, to point number three. The third thing, it only took us a, a Sunday and a half. We've made it to point number three. Point number three is this, that we worship. Now, this is going to shock you. It's going to blow your mind that we worship God as we sing. I know. You didn't see that coming. One of the ways that we worship God is we shout to him and declare, speaking out loud, the goodness of our faithful God. One of the ways that we worship is that we give our lives as service to him, regardless of how we feel, that everything we do is done unto the Lord. And we also worship in singing and in songs. The psalmist David, he says this in verse 2 of Psalm 100, Come before him with joyful songs. There's just no getting around it. You can't fully engage the discipline of worship without songs, without music, without singing to God. Martin Luther wrote, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. This is a foundational function of our praise. We have to talk about this, right? In fact, the Bible talks about it a lot. 400 references to singing in the Bible, 50 direct commands to sing to God. For example, uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Chronicles uh, 16 says, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell about all his wondrous works. So we sing back to God all of his wondrous works as a way to remind us of God's own faithfulness and also just because it's good for us because we are told to say thank you to him and one of the ways that is deeply meaningful and powerful and important is we do that through song. In the New Testament, there's a similar command given in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 that says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves or the CEV translation says uh, when you gather or when you meet together, do this and then make music to the Lord in your hearts. So sing hymns and spiritual spiritual songs among yourselves. And the Psalms regularly tell us to sing a new song to the Lord. So sing to the Lord. This is a pretty clear instruction. You should meet together with other people who believe in God, and you should sing. And what you sing about is the goodness of God. And by the way, you should sing to one another as much as you sing 
to God, which is actually a pushback against the uh, this this church adage, which is sound is one of those things that sounds true, but it's not completely true. When we say things like "When I worship, I'm just singing to an audience of one," it sounds good, but your neighbor is also listening to you. And there is a function of the way the Bible talks about singing praise to God that what your neighbor hears you sing actually impacts their relationship with God. We stir one another up to love and good works. One of the ways we do that is, let me sing a song about how God has been good and faithful to me. So the next time someone says, I can't sing that worship song because it's not directly written at God, just say, well, is it true? Yeah, it's true. Well, can it encourage me? Yes, it can encourage me. Then Get off your high horse and just enjoy the song. Sorry, just had to handle that for a second. If everything is worship, then so much more than we probably think can be praise. Right? Does it honor God? It's praise. Let it be praise. So here's why we do this, though. We sing together because music is a powerful tool. Music unifies our hearts, right? I mean, look, at, think about the Super Bowl. They don't have, like, sad songs that bring division. They bring pop stars to come and unify our hearts and help us celebrate. Yeah, we're watching people hit each other. Woohoo! But it does something to us, right? There's a unifying experience. How many, like, there is not a song that people talk about more every single year than whatever song was sung during the Super Bowl halftime show. It's unifying. Music has a unifying force. Imagine what it would look like if the people of Jesus actually believed that and said, we will use music to unify the people of God. And just for the record, Psalm 133, David writes that where there are people living in unity, this is where God, it says, commands the blessing. He commands the blessing. He doesn't just make it available. He commands the blessing for people who dwell together in unity. And worship music, singing praise, unites our hearts. We also understand that music is a powerful tool for changing the atmosphere of a place. Right? In, in 2 Kings chapter 3, there's this story about Elisha, and he's hanging out with some, some guys, and they're kind of jokers, and, and, and they're, gonna, they're about to be attacked. And so they go, oh, the prophet is with us. We should go ask him if he thinks that God is on our side in this battle that's about to come up. And Elisha has some choice words for them. He's like, you're a bunch of jokers, but you know what? I'll go and ask the Lord what he's going to say uh, on your behalf, which is a really interesting moment to be in, that he's actually in, the prophet is in an environment where people have not been interested in hearing what God is saying in a moment, and then they go, we should go find out what God wants to say about this in this moment. There's just, like, all of a sudden, we should ask God. So they show up to Elisha's tent, they, they, they ask him, will you please hear the Lord on our behalf? And he goes, you guys are ridiculous. But here's what he says in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 15. He says, now bring me someone who can play the harp. It's really interesting if you dig into the story. He's not excited about this moment. He's just doing the thing. Okay? So there's, remember, worship doesn't care about how you feel. He's not, he's not enthralled. Yes, I've actually got a word for you right now. He goes, yeah, bring me a harp. 
While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon him. When did the power of the Lord come upon him? While the harp was being played. Okay. The power of the Lord came upon him while the harp was being played. And then he said, this is what the Lord says. And then he gives him a prophetic word. The lesson here, and I don't want to get bogged down too much into the story, but you could draw this lesson out of that context and understand this, that this is true, is that music changed that moment. That music does something to change a moment. Music helps us to focus on God. Music, music helps us to hear God. So music is a powerful tool, certainly to worship and bring honor to God, but also to position us to hear what God has to say. It, it, we're not forcing, like today it, for, is a great example. During worship, we begin to hear the Lord. I just want you to know that when I came up here and I, and I shared a couple of places from Scripture and there was a, there was a sense of instruction and, and leadership about that moment, I didn't pre-plan all of that. I was worshiping with you and began to feel a sense of this is what God is saying to us right now in this moment. And that is a common practice in our church. That as we worship, we expect that God will speak right now to us because he has always done that. Because as we praise, we hear God speak back to us as we speak truth and worship and praise back to him. So uh, this, this is why we worship at the beginning of our, of our worship gatherings. Because it sets the tone. It positions us to hear from God and invites, it, it invites God to lead us into our spiritual warfare. But most importantly, we sing because God is seated on the praises of his people. This is what it says in Psalm 22, verse 3. God is seated or enthroned on the praises of his people. And we sing to God the honor and the glory that he deserves. It, it is as simple and foundational as that. But the results of worship in our life is so dynamic. So one of the ways that we practice the discipline of worship is that we make it a point to sing and engage in singing worship to God. Jesus. So worship is everything you do. Who are you worshiping when you go to work tomorrow? Worship is the way that you serve God in what you do. And even in the way that you serve other people. And worship is the function of singing songs to God. And all of this is good for us, by the way. And it's important in fact, I'll leave you this with this, and then I'll give you some homework to practice this week. Does that sound good? Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote about the, the importance of worship as a means of preparing us for and making us more like God and preparing us to live in his kingdom. He says this, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. I don't, I don't have um, a framework, like my theology for what eternal life in heaven is going to be like is not sit on a cloud, play a harp. Um, th this is, by the way, this is why people actually have a critique of Christianity. They go, I'm not interested in, in what you're offering. When you say eternal life in heaven with God, that sounds boring to me. I don't want to do that. I, I personally have a, a belief system uh, my theology of, of the end times is that heaven is going to be wildly communal and relational. And that you, in eternal life, in the presence of God where there's no more pain and brokenness and sin, and politics, <laughs> and wars, will actually be able to 
fully realize the most beautiful and holistic and life-giving and God-honoring expression of your gifts and talents and passions. That if you're a painter, you will paint the most beautiful paintings for all of eternity and you'll go, God, look at this painting. And God will go, that's amazing. I'm so glad I gave you that talent and ability. And if you're not a painter, you have eternity to figure out how to be one. Or if you're a songwriter, you will just write the most beautiful songs. If you're a poet, you'll write poetry. If you're a philosopher, you will sit and think about the goodness of God and have your mind blown in the context of, of community. And like one of my Bible teachers in, in high school, he said, Eternity, eternal life in heaven is going to be like this, realizing the goodness of one aspect of God for all of eternity. And then once you've figured out all of, how, all of the ways to worship God for that one aspect of all of the ways that God is good, he will reveal about himself something else that you didn't even think about yet. And you'll go, oh, I now I need to worship you for all of eternity. And if that sounds boring, you just don't have a very vibrant perspective of who God is. That's why last Sunday I, I said, if you don't want to shout for Jesus, we're not boring, you're boring. You just have a shallow view of God. And that's probably the world and the church and your theology, all of that mixed together. Uh, we're not trying to shame you into anything. We just, I just want you to understand that eternal life isn't boring. And that the life you live right now is practice for the moment when all of the pain and brokenness and politics and, and, and all of that is gone. And you can worship without any hindrance. So the discipline of worship prepares us for the eternity that we've already begun to live in because you're alive in Christ. But it prepares us to worship without hindrance. So you push through the hindrance now to worship the God who deserves your praise. You do that in singing and in service, sometimes in shouting and sometimes in silence. God, would you make us people of worship? because you are worthy. Amen. Let me give you some homework, some things that you can do this week. Uh, these were on the screen for you last week as well, but uh, we'll put them up for you again today. One of the things that we think would be beneficial for you if you want to practice the discipline of worship is simply this. Crack your Bible open, turn it to Psalm 100, and read it out loud. Now, last week I said to you that if you're reading this out loud, don't just kind of read it out loud like you're just empty words on a page, but recite Psalm 100 as if they were your words. Speak them to God as if they were your words. Uh, another great one that you can do is uh, Psalm 100. Psalm 23 is a phenomenal, a powerful psalm to pray out loud. Uh, and you can make this a practice. In fact, for generations, the church has practiced praying the psalms as a function of worship back to God. You can do that out loud. You can do it at least once a day for the rest of the week. I think it'll change something in your heart if you begin to do it. The second thing I would say to you uh, is pray a prayer as often as you possibly can that sounds something like this. God, what I'm doing now, I do it as an act of worship. You are worthy of the best praise, so I give you my best right now. Amen. And then just do the thing that you are going to go and do anyway. And then a third uh, thing that I would recommend to you is so simple, but create a playlist on whatever music platform you listen to. Um, create a playlist of songs. Uh, this is this is like 
when I was a kid, you would create a mixtape. Okay. For all the people who are older than me, um, we do that digitally now. Uh, and so create a mixtape on your computer of worship songs. I was driving down to Anaheim with my daughters the other week, and uh, we just were talking about, about church. And we were talking about how creative their generation is and how they're really rewriting the sound of worship right now. And it's, it's exciting and also sometimes a little bit weird, right? Because Gen Z says weird stuff, and then they write that into their worship songs. So what we did is we went and, and found a Gen Z worship song playlist, and we started listening to it. And we just were like, all right, that was a weird line, but it's a good song. Oh, the vibes, it's all, this song's all about the vibes. Uh, heavy on the synth over here. Uh, they're just like, we just went and just started kind of analyzing the, the creativity of the worship. And you know what we found? We loved every single song. We were worshiping together on the drive. It was just, it was so good. I mean, sometimes it's silly, but you know what? Your grandparents thought the stuff you sing was silly when it was brand new, right? Okay, let's, let's make room for the young people. But anyway, the point here is create a playlist that invites you to worship Jesus. If you, if you don't like the worship songs that's, sing about how I'm on embers living on 10, which is an expression that a Gen Z person would understand. It's actually a line in a worship song that I now know. Uh, then, then create a playlist for the hymns, which for the record used to be bar songs. You were rebellious once too. Create a playlist of worship songs, of praise songs. You just put them on in the background. Just put them on. I was making lunch uh, just at the house just the other day, and I just put on this playlist of these Gen Z worship songs. Sharon comes in the room. She's like, what are you listening to? And I go, I'm worshiping Jesus right now. <laughs> Why is this important? Because it's better than Kanye. I got way too much of a clap, but... Um, no 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 shade to Kanye's musical talent but the man needs Jesus right so does whatever other secular artist you might go listen to right they they need Jesus so i'm not going to go listen to Tay Tay because she's not going to lead me to Jesus okay i'm not going to go listen to the beatles because they're not going to lead me to Jesus throwing your shade at taylor swift so so here's the homework assignment Find the songs that lead you into the presence of Jesus. And regardless of what you feel like you would rather listen to, do your homework. Praise Jesus with me. God, again, we say, make us people of worship and praise. This has to look and feel like something, God. May it look like service in everything we do. May it touch every area of our lives. May we worship you in every area of our lives. Change us as we become worshipers, God. And may it sound like something as well. As we as a people lean into what it would look like to sing our worship to you, God, I even ask that you would increase the creative expression of praise and worship in this church to you. Give us songs that are new, life church songs, for us, by us, and for you. 
Make us worshipers, God. And friends, I pray this blessing over you as you go from this place as worshipers. May your life be a sacrifice of worship to the God who has been so good to you. May you be moved to shout and to sing for joy about the salvation that you have been given in Jesus. May your shouting and your singing and your serving inspire others to join in worship. May your worship move your perspective, mold your heart, and help you to think more and more like God, seeing more of, and more of him in the world and in your life. And as God works his will out in you, and as you worship him, may you be blessed, and may you be a blessing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.